This is episode number 278, Cass Warbeck, from plant-based Muay Thai champion to medical student. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I read this book and it opened my eyes to how food and diet can actually affect long-term health and not just your immediate body composition or how you look or how toned you are. It can actually like affect like long-term health and your longevity and all these different things. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I hadn't learned this before. I was taking a nutrition course. I, I just had never made the connection. Like what I eat today could influence whether I get breast cancer in the future. It was just kind of downhill from there. I just started reading all I could about nutrition, um, plant-based diets. We are in Albuquerque. We made it. It was our first trip with Bradley, our son. We had a 10-hour travel day with him, and he was an absolute angel. I was really nervous about how it would all go, and I was definitely overprepared, but everything went well, and we are very excited to be here. I hope that you have something to look forward to over the holidays here and that you're doing well. Big thank you to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon and PayPal. You can do that at patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And that helps to pay my professional audio producer, Roma, who has been working with me since episode one. And he is the one that makes sure that all of these episodes sound so good. If you want to support the show in other ways, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, or I guess it's the follow button now on Apple Podcasts. We also are available on Spotify Podcasts and anywhere else that you like to listen to shows. Sharing the show with your friend, subscribing, and also leaving us reviews makes a huge difference in helping the show find others. If you like the topics of how to be better, how to change your habits, how to be more productive, and how to feel more grounded, Make sure you subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It comes out every single Monday and I put a lot of work into it to make sure that there is a good amount of research behind the articles that I write and to make sure that you know about the newest podcast of the week and other little news. You can subscribe at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter and join a bunch of us over there. Cass actually has a podcast called The Plant-Fueled Podcast, and I was a guest on her show last month. If you want to check that out, I'll put the link in the show notes. And that's also something that I would be sending out in a newsletter the week that it happened. So Cass Warbeck is a Muay Thai champion, and she is a medical student, and going plant-based has been game-changing for her. She started training in martial arts at the age of 11 and has black belt training in karate and black level training in kickboxing. And after reading the China study by T. Colin Campbell in 2013, she went plant-based and never looked back. A plant-based diet fueled her throughout her amateur Muay Thai fighting career. And in March 2019, she fought for and won the World Kickboxing Association North American Bantamweight Muay Thai title. That's pretty amazing. Most of us have never fought anybody in our lives, let alone for sport. So this conversation has a lot of really interesting tidbits in here that you might not have heard before. Cass has always loved inspiring and educating others to achieve better personal health through physical movement and nutrition, and you'll hear that interweave throughout this episode. She completed a Bachelor of Science in Health and Fitness Physiology from the University of Calgary and worked as a Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology certified personal trainer before applying to medical school. Cass is a third-year medical student at the University of Alberta and really is passionate about improving nutrition education that is provided to medical students in Canada. One of the reasons that Cass went into the medical profession is because she wants to harness the power of lifestyle medicine and plant-based nutrition in her future medical practice. Cass has been featured in the book Legends of Change and the magazine Canadian Vegan. She is also a long-term volunteer for the organization NutritionFacts.org and is the host of the Plant Fueled podcast. Today, you're going to learn some fun new things. Number one, you're going to learn about Muay Thai, which I didn't know much about, so that was really fun for me, that there's always something to work on in our lives. You'll learn what it's actually like to fight somebody and how you train to fight somebody, and there's a lot involved there. It's more than you would think. We learned about training focus on how to have more confidence as a female fighter, and also about how and why she decided to change her diet and what that looks like. We also talked about how she cuts weight for fights because a lot of people are often curious in healthy weight loss and sustainable weight loss. And we also talked about applying to medical school and why she is going into the medical profession. 
I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I do. I also hope that you're having an awesome day. Let's get into it with Cass Warbeck. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's incredible to be here, honestly. I've been a longtime listener of your show and you've had some incredible guests, so it's a true honor. Yeah, I know. I got to be on your show and it was really fun to get to have that conversation with you. And then it's going to be really fun to talk about Muay Thai and just there's so many different things we can talk about today. So that's very exciting for both myself and the listeners. (laughs) Yeah, I hope I can um, share some value with your audience. So wherever you want to take this. Yeah. So I think we should start with your Muay Thai career because most people listening probably aren't familiar with that. So can you can you talk about even what that is, like the type of fighting that is? Yeah, of course. So for those that don't know, Muay Thai, the way I like to explain it, it's kickboxing, but there's a little extra added on. So Muay Thai, it originated in Thailand, as most people can probably put together, but it's known as the art of eight limbs. And it's known as the art of eight limbs because you basically have eight weapons that you can strike your opponent with. So you have your fists, obviously, but you also have your elbows, your shins and your knees, and then four on each side. So you get eight there. So it's basically stand up kickboxing, but there's elbow striking and you also have the clinch as well and the clinch is kind of like stand up stand up wrestling I like to describe it where you can actually clinch your opponent behind the neck and the goal there is you're doing damage by uh, dropping elbows and knees and you're also trying to sweep your opponent to the ground once someone's on the ground though the ref steps in and breaks it up and you um, continue fighting stand up so it's a pretty vicious sport but it's it's so much fun and I've truly fallen in love with it how did you get into that I uh, started training Gojiru karate, actually, when I was like 11 years old. And um, I just started with my dad and my brother, and I just fell in love with martial arts. I fell in love with the what you put into it is what you get out of it. And it's such an, like, it's constant improvement. There's always something to work on. And I think I really, like, was just drawn to that. Anyway, so my karate sensei, her, so Tammy Thankachin, she's an incredible woman. Her karate sensei, Paul Sukas, was actually not only, like, um, crazy black belt in karate, but he'd actually fought for Team Canada Muay Thai. He's into uh, kickboxing, jujitsu and everything. So I actually just started training at his dojo about once a week. I was just fighting, like uh, doing the sparring classes there because I was really gravitating towards that. Anyway, he basically told me one day that he thought I could go far with the sport and that he could actually see me being a world champion one day. And at the time, I didn't believe him at all. But something truly resonated with me when he said that. And I think I'd been searching for a while, just wanting to be the best that I could be at a sport. And perhaps Muay Thai was it. Perhaps kickboxing is somewhere where I could actually go far with it. So um, for those that know my coach now, Paul Sukas, um, he doesn't say anything that he doesn't mean. So I know he truly means it now. But at the time, I thought he was just trying to make me feel good. Anyway, I started training with him full time. And I ended up having my first official fight a couple of years later in 2015. So I was about 21 years old. Yeah, whenever I think about fighting, I know whenever you start at 11, and you kind of go through it'd be like the idea of fighting probably is something that just is normal. But for most people that have never actually like, hit somebody or grab somebody, that probably seems really far out there or really hard to even imagine. Um, so I'd love to hear about your first fight. Like, was that something that was scary? Was that something that you like, cause you're like going face to face with somebody and you're physically going against somebody. Yeah. It's the best way I explain it is to me, it is a sport. And I know like fighting is pretty vicious and pretty violent to some people. And some people, when they learn that I actually, I have fought before, they truly don't believe it because I don't really come across that way, but it's a sport like any other. And you're just trying to beat your opponent in within the rules of the sport. For me, my first fight was, I built it up pretty much like pretty big in my mind. Like I was, I was nervous. I was stressed. My fight camp ended up being about three months long, which is pretty long because my first fight ended up falling through. So we just stretched it out. Um, So I was a little overtrained, I think, a little burnt out and very nervous. Like when you think about an amateur fight for those that don't know, like I've only ever fought amateur and the only difference really is I don't get paid for it. So I actually pay to do this, which some people think is insane. But um, my first amateur fight, it's they're still held in casinos. So it's like your friends and family, like your teammates, everyone's paying to come watch this. There's lights, there's walkout music, like it's a pretty big deal. Anyway, my first fight, I lost. It was it was horrible. It was such a blur to me. Honestly, I lost by decision. So it went the full three rounds, but it was just I was so 
fixated on everything outside the ring. I was fixated on everyone watching me perform. I was fixated on the lights. The fight was being recorded. I didn't know where it was going to play after. Like all these external thoughts really got the better of me. And I just, I remember the only thing I remember from that fight is like being in the clinch and trying to throw some body hooks to get out of the clinch. And for those that know fighting, that is not the way you get out of a clinch. You're supposed to kind of manipulate, push their head away, keep your head up sort of thing. So everything I thought I knew, like all my training kind of went out the window and it was, it was a hard loss actually. Like it brought me down for a couple of weeks. I had built it up to be this big event in my head and to kind of come out not as I had wanted was hard. But um, I got back to training like we all do. And I ended up going to the Canadian Nationals, a tournament in Ontario later that year. And I ended up winning both my fights in Muay Thai and kickboxing. And that kind of helped rebuild my confidence a little bit. But I still remember that, <laughs> what I learned from that last fight. And I truly think we learn more from losses and it definitely helped me in my career. Yeah. So it sounds like the focus was the main challenge for you. You were focused outside of the ring. So what do you do now to train that focus? Yeah. Now I've had a total of 13 amateur fights and it's been a journey for sure. There's a few strategies I've definitely picked up along the way that I'd like to share, but by no means am I an expert. And I still like to this day, I know if I took another fight, I'd be struggling with extreme pre-fight anxiety and and the big lead up to the fight. But um, I guess for, okay, I'll start out with, for those that don't know me, like my teammates, they know that like the six weeks before a fight, I'm a nervous wreck. I, I cry at everything. It's totally common to see me hitting pads and like, I'm like crying. I like don't want to be here. And I like don't know why I signed up for this thing in the first place, but just there's something about it that like, I want to test myself. I want to prove myself. And I think like any competitive athlete can relate to that. Like you want a purpose for your training and you want an ultimate goal and you want to see how you compare to others training to do the same thing. So coming to terms of why I was fighting in the first place was big for me. But then some of the strategies that helped me deal with my pre-fight nerves leading up to it, one of them was what I call checking the boxes. And I know everyone, like a lot of athletes kind of do the same thing, but it's basically controlling what you can control. So there's so many elements to the fight that I can't control. I can't control what my opponent's doing. I can't control what happens on fight night or what where my fight is in the lineup or anything like that. But what I can control is what I put into my training. So for example... I'm very strategic. I like to write down everything. I like to have a plan. So I'll, I'll plan out my workouts for the day, for the week, for the entire fight camp. And then if I can ensure that I'm doing each thing that I need to be doing. So if I need to run four or five times that week, or if I need to be hitting a certain speed on the treadmill for my sprints, if I can do that and I can check those boxes mentally, it makes me feel that I've done what I can so that when I step into that ring, I'm controlling what I can. And then it's basically like, from there, it's just like autopilot, like whoever wins would be the best fighter on that day. So really focusing on what I can control has been big for me. Sorry, it sounds like the controllables yeah. is also the process. So like you're not worried mm -hmm. about like you're worried about the outcome. Like you wouldn't be, you know, an athlete competing if you didn't care about the outcome. But the focus is on what do I need to do to be my best? Not I have to win this thing. Yes, exactly. And trying to disassociate myself from the outcome a little bit helps as well. Like like the outcome does matter, but at the end of the day, like how much does it truly matter? Like I've thought about this a lot. Like after a win, it feels great. Like the night after you win a fight is incredible. And I'm sure it's the same after you win a huge race or something like that. But ultimately, like a week later, everything's the same. Like I go back to the gym, I start training again. My life doesn't change that much. And if I lose a fight, it's the same thing. I go back to the gym a couple of weeks later, I start training. My teammates don't care. My friends and family don't care if I've lost. My identity is not tied to the outcome. And I think that's something I've really it's taken me a while to figure out, but I really try and remind myself of that. Like I am not, yeah, I'm not, if I win, it doesn't, people don't love me more <laughs> essentially is what it comes down to. Yeah. I think that's so common. I mean, that's something that I struggle with and have struggled with as well. And it's easy to tell people like, Hey, this is, this is what you should do. But I think that it's a journey for everybody and everyone has to go through that to, so that they can realize like, Hey, I'm still okay. And I'm still me The the wins and the losses are just data points, but I'm still me. I'm still the graph. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And people have been telling me that from the day I started fighting, but it's like you say, you have to experience it for yourself and you have to recognize it and really internalize that feeling because you don't believe when other people tell you. It's kind of a personal experience. And you have to build it up as you go. So what are some of these other uh, training focus tips you have? Some of the other, like, are you talking like 
physical or like mental strategies? Uh, uh, Mental strategies. Okay. Visualization is a big one. And I'll be the first to admit that I do not visualize as much as I should be. And part of it is just like, man, it stresses me out to even think about it. So I really try and focus on all the physical things, but I know my mental training, there's more to it. Like the mental side is huge. So what I've really been focusing on is like, even if it's just a couple times a week, like sitting down in a quiet place and just like trying to visualize like my walkout, listening, like playing my walk. I even play my walkout song sometimes. And I'm just like visualizing like the fight rounds. You're always told to visualize like if things start to go bad, if you get knocked down, like how are you going to respond to that adversity? And so that when you're actually in the ring, you've already lived all the possible outcomes. Like, you know how you're going to react to it. And Again, this is something that I really need to work on more and commit to more, but it's something I've been playing around with, especially for my last fight, which was, it seems so long ago, it was like two years now, 2019 before the whole pandemic, but um, it's a work in progress, but it's, it's so important. Visualization is a huge part of martial arts. How do you get back up when somebody, cause it, I, it's different. Like if you crash off your bike or you fall down running, it's like, well, you just get back up, but there's not a, an actual physical person there trying to hold you down. So how do you get back up? Um, it's like, you don't feel much when you're in the ring. I'll just put that out there right away is people think that like when you get punched in the face or like you, um, block a kick with your shin or something like it hurts, but you don't feel it at the time, or at least I don't, I'm only talking from my own personal experience, but if you get knocked down, like there's no other option. It's like, you have trained like months of your life. This is like the only thing that matters. And when I'm in the ring, I'm not thinking about anything outside of the ring. I forget where I am. I forget about everything except for that moment. And it's just, there's no other option. You have to stand up and that's what you're here for. And you train so hard so that your physical ability where it's like nothing's holding you back. Like my gas tank's usually good. Like I don't need to quit. I have no reason to quit. And like you can, you get tunnel vision almost. So for me, there's just no other option. You have to stand back up and you have to keep fighting because that's what you're there for. So the adrenaline part kind of makes it so you don't feel the pain. Cause I think that's something people would think about a lot is like, that would really hurt. So, I mean, I'm sure it still hurts, but it probably, like you said, it just isn't a focus. Like it would be if you weren't in the ring. Yeah, exactly. That was actually something I was really nervous about before I took my first fight. And for those that are listening, like you do my very first fight, I had headgear, I had shin pads, you obviously wear a mouth guard, you have um, bigger gloves on. And then the more experience you get, your coaches um, talking back and forth can kind of decide like, oh, are we just going, are we going to drop the shin pads or drop the headgear? So I worked up to a point where I was only wearing a mouth guard gloves and then elbow pads because as an amateur, you always wear elbow pads. You drop the elbow pads when you're a professional. But um, I was so nervous for just like, like getting uh, kicked in the shin. It hurts. Like your shins are pretty tender. And I was so nervous for like, because the big thing in Muay Thai is like when people are throwing kicks at your leg, you actually block it with your shin. Like you do, um, uh, you check it is what we call it. And (laughs) like, I was so nervous. I was like, man, I'm going to block one kick and that's going to be it. But I you don't even think about it. You feel it. And it's just like the adrenaline and you're just like, you don't feel it till after. And um, and then it's not even that bad after. (laughs) That's amazing. What our brain builds it up to be like this thing that's going to hurt, whether it be like, you have to go as hard as you can. Like I'm sure in your running intervals, you know, the pain there or the pain of getting hit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, one thing I really try and do during my fight camps and and my coach is good for this as well. Like he knows how to push me to my limits. And honestly, like you're trying to train yourself in training so that you won't hit that level of exhaustion in your fight. Like every fighter's worst fear is, well, getting knocked out is one of them in front of everybody, but is losing your gas tank. And there's nothing worse than like wanting to throw a kick or wanting to throw a punch or wanting to keep your hands up and physically not being able to, because you're just the adrenaline dump, the exhaustion, the, 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 the just being in the ring, there's nothing else like it. So you really have to train above what you expect the fight to be so that you can hope to have a chance of being in shape for a fight. Yeah. So let's talk about the training. Like what does training look like for this type of fighting? Yeah. So I find it very individualized. Like it's, I feel for, for something like if you're running for a 5k or a marathon or something like that, there's plenty of training plans out there and it's pretty, pretty structured. Like there's a pretty, most people train the same way, but for fighting, it's really been, I've had to figure out what works for me. Like, yes, everyone runs. Yes. Everyone hits pads and spars, but I've had to figure out the proper balance for me. So for me, 
I find I need to be running for sure. There's nothing that can really like get up my lungs, like a good, like sprint or a hard 5k can. So I try and run four or five times a week. There'll be about one long run where I'm working on like my aerobic base. And then I do, I'll do a couple like hard 5Ks, just working my anaerobic threshold. And then a couple sprint interval workouts where I'm really like tapping into that glycolytic, like anaerobic energy. So what I like to do personally is however long my rounds are. And for amateur, they're about two minute rounds. I'll actually mimic that with my sprint. So I'll do like a two minute sprint um, with a minute rest. And I'll repeat that. I always go double what my fight would be. So that's just something that I've decided I like to do. I'll also do like quicker sprints, like 30 second sprints and things like that. And then obviously there's a ton of sparring. There's a ton of drilling with my teammates. I try and do a little bit of strength and conditioning, like circuit training um, a couple times a week. And um, yeah, just uh, a lot of, a lot of pads, a lot of tie pads, <laughs> rounds and rounds of pads. There's nothing like it. Like my cardio can be incredible if I'm running every day, but if I'm not hitting pads, or if I'm not sparring, it's just like, it's not there. Yeah. I think the, f- like for people just even, and we can talk about self-defense in a minute, but just if you know, like how to throw a punch, it's different than actually hitting something. Like I took a self-defense class and you actually got to like hit people wearing pads. And that was a big confidence booster because even in my dreams, like if I'm punching something in my dream and it's like my arm is going through honey and there's no impact behind it. So yeah, like let's switch gears just really quickly. I want to come back to this, but I would love to talk about self-defense classes and also like the confidence that it brings to other women doing self-defense. So I guess in this realm, the first question I have for you is like, how did, you know, learning how to fight impact your confidence as a woman? It's done wonders for my confidence as a woman. I honestly can't imagine my life without knowing martial arts. Like I've been training since I've been 11 and I think I've taken for granted that I know how to throw a punch or I know what it feels like to get hit. And you really have to train that to get used to it. And that's one of the things I really love about teaching um, self-defense classes to women in particular. And um, I've taught like Muay Thai to women as well. And there's something so empowering about learning how to throw a punch or how like to just recognize how much power women actually have inside them that they just don't know they can create. Like if you just like show them a proper technique or show them how to shift their weight properly, it's, it's amazing. And like uh, the start of the class, like everyone's like a little timid. They're not sure what to expect. They've never been in like a martial arts environment before. And by the end of the class, these like these middle-aged women that have never thrown a punch in their life, they're like wailing on the pads or, or practicing their techniques on each other. And it's truly incredible to see. And I really think it's something like every woman should make it a point to go out, take a self-defense class or, or sign up for your local kickboxing class, because it's truly empowering. Like I honestly don't think anything else is. Yeah, that's such a great tip. And also like something for me is the self-defense class I took, it was actually through my university, but I haven't done it in so long and I don't remember anything. I've lost all that confidence. So like the having to revisit that and continue doing it, I think would be really helpful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's something that I, I make sure that people remember when they leave my classes is like, this is just one class. Like you really aren't much better off. Like these techniques that I taught you, like they are nothing if you don't go home and practice them, like write them down, like practice, practice, practice. They have to become muscle memory so that when you're scared, when you're vulnerable, when you're actually like, I never hope anyone needs to use them, but if you do need to use them, it's going to come naturally and quickly to you. Mm -hmm. And on the topic of being a woman, has there been any like biases or prejudices against you in your sport as a female? I honestly think fighting has come a long way in the last few years, especially since like I've started training and fighting competitively. The interest in female fighters has grown exponentially. Like we see like female fighters like headlining UFC events, which is incredible to see. So personally, I can't say I've ever really been affected. I think some people are a little surprised when they find out a fighter. And sometimes we'll have cases where like, I'll be training at my gym and every once in a while we get like new guys that come into the gym and they think, they think that just because I'm a girl that um, like, they almost don't want to spar me because it's damaging to their ego. If like, oh my goodness, if the girl actually gets a punch in or if the girl tags me with a kick. So sometimes it's a little, I can tell they're not happy about it and they almost come at me harder than they probably should. So I think 
yeah, there's still, there's still that. It's just like, I'm assumed to be not as good of an athlete because I'm a woman or that I shouldn't be as good of a fighter because I'm a woman. And that's slowly changing. And I'm always like encouraging whenever like new uh, women join the class, I'm like, want them to like re- feel like they're welcome and feel like this is an environment that they can be comfortable in. And they can like call home as well. Cause it's definitely been a male dominant sport. Yeah. Something that I think is really fantastic about sport and like even business is that there is this box that I mean if you even go back to like the 50s like the woman's supposed to like stay at home and you know take care of the kids and kind of be meek and I love that fighting fighting is like the exact opposite of what that quote well one of the stereotypes of what a female should look like is and I think athletes have to bump up against this all the time. And it's, it's definitely changing and the conversations around gender have grown so much and it's so important, but I love to see like women kicking ass in whatever they're doing. And especially in ways where it would actually surprise people like, oh wow, like women are fighting. Like that's not something that you would normally hear. Mm-hmm. No, I, I hear you. I'm like, I'm all about like the women empowerment and the more women we can get into these traditionally male sports, the better. And I hope if you're listening to this and you've thought about trying to kickboxing class or jujitsu or something like that, like, like do it, you might surprise yourself. And yeah, it's, it's incredible. Now I want to go do it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be great at it. I'm sure. Uh, I have one more question on, about fighting before we get on to plant-based diets. But mm-hmm. my question is how do you build your confidence back after you lose a fight? It's tough sometimes. And I think it, again, I can only speak for experience. But I think as fighters, we almost want to find a reason. Like confidence is everything to a fighter. And as silly as it may be, you almost want to like find a like an, a reason that you lost or like a way to be like, oh, like this is this was the reason and I can fix this next time going forward. Like it's no good to just lose and be like, well, why did I lose? Or like, what can I fix? So for me, everything from like, oh, I wasn't checking kicks or I had no head movement or I think one of my fights, I remember like a couple of my fights have been like outmatched just like height wise, strength wise. So for me, like building my confidence back up, I was just like, well, I was like, I was an underdog. That was a a weight class that was higher than what I should have been fighting in. So for me, it was easy to come back from that because I was like, well, I shouldn't have to fight women like that again. But um, some other fights have been like, oh, like my clinch sucked. Like I just like, I, I, she kept getting dominant clinch on me and I wasn't able to get out of it. So having something concrete that you can work on and improve for the next time, I find very beneficial. Okay. So yeah, finding something to work on again, giving you back a little bit of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it all comes back down to the control. And <laughs> I know for me, that's a big, something I'm always striving for is that element of control and, and whatever way I can find it, like I'll gravitate towards that for sure. Yeah. And with this control, the controllables conversation, someone asked me about this on a podcast and I said something like, yeah, it's control the controllables, but also asking what you can let go of. Because also if you're like white knuckle death gripping everything that you can control, then you're also not going to perform at the highest level. So has there been things that you have had to let go of too? Yeah. I think it's just one of the things is realizing that I will not be my best all the time like at my best all the time. And for the longest time, like even between fight camps, I wanted to be like at the peak physical condition. And I just wanted to always be like potential fight shape. And I wanted my 5k to always be like this, like fantastic speed. And that's just, as you know, like that's unattainable. Like you just can't do that. You'll burn yourself out. So I think the biggest thing for me was realizing that there's going to be days where I'm not going to feel great. And there's going to be months and stretches of time where yes, I'm not in peak physical condition, but that's okay. And it's allowing um, that time for recovery and knowing that I'll be able to get back to that, that where I was before and potentially even better if I give myself that recovery and that time off. So yeah, for me, it was just understanding that you can't be the best every single day. And there's going to be days where perhaps my opponent, she's better than me just on this one day at this time. And perhaps if we'd fought um, the day before I would have won or come out on top or something like that. So understanding that, yeah, there's just things that I just can't have perfect all the time, but that's okay. Yeah. And I mean, just to days that it does go perfect, you won the 2019 um, North American Bantraweight Muay Thai title, right? Yeah. And that was probably the highlight of my Muay Thai fight career. 
it was March 2019. So it's the WKA, the World Kickboxing Association. I fought for the North American bantamweight title, which was 118 pounds. And it was a five round fight. I fought a girl that was actually out of New York from the States. Um, they flew her up. It was in, in Airdrie, Airdrie, Alberta here for those that are local. But yeah, it was, it was amazing. I trained so hard for this fight and everything actually came together. And I have to say, people think that Muay Thai and fighting sports are individual. Like you're the only one in the ring, but honestly, there's such a team environment around it. And I have to say, like, I would not have been at my best that day if I didn't have my teammates and my coach, my friends and family supporting me for that. Like a fighter is nothing without their teammates. So yeah, it was it was incredible. It was a five round fight. I believe I won by a unanimous, but uh, at the time I didn't know it was going to be my last fight. Like that was in 2019. After that fight, I got offered a world title. I was supposed to fight that September, but I ended up injuring my MCL during training. And at that time I'd just been accepted into medical school and things kind of, I didn't really have the time to commit. Once I healed up, I didn't have the time to commit to another fight. And then when I finally did, I had one lined up and then the COVID-19 pandemic hit. So it's just been up and down and coming back to the, what you can control. I've realized like there's more I feel I can do in this sport, but at this time that's out of my control and I need to focus on other priorities in my life at this moment. And if the time comes and things line up and I can actually fight again, then I hope to. But at this time, I'm trying to like release expectations of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think a lot of people had a version of that happen in their lives with pandemics and even just without pandemics, things just come up in our lives and they happen and they can change our course that we thought that we were going to be on. And I love going back to focusing on what you can control, but also having an acceptance piece of this is what I'm focusing on now. And also an impermanence piece of, hey, I can come back to this later. Like this isn't just because I can't pursue this now doesn't mean that I can't do it later. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think coming like realizing that and embracing that has allowed me to be okay with where I'm at and to um, this is something I learned from you is like not trying to balance everything perfectly all the time. And it's that intentional imbalance and knowing that right now my priority is medical school and these other things I have going on. And it's not Muay Thai as much as I, or as much as I hate to admit it, but maybe sometime in the future it will be again. And yeah, just being okay with that is something I've had to come to terms with. So let's uh, move on to your plant-based journey. What made you change your diet? I changed my diet in 2013 and like many vegans out there, it was the China study that initially was the catalyst for all this. So at the time I was doing my undergraduate degree, I was working part-time at a gym and one of the members, he would come up and talk to me all the time. And he was a very big plant-based advocate. Anyway, he basically convinced me I had to read this book. And once I did, it was just, I couldn't go back. And um, for those that don't know the China study by T. Colin Campbell. It's basically a book that um, details his life's work. Um, I believe he grew up on a dairy farm and he was very um, into protein research and he believed protein was king, but then he started discovering that actually protein has a role in cancer initiation and cancer progression. And that rolled into him conducting the China study, which is one of the most comprehensive studies ever conducted on nutrition and diet and risk of disease. Anyway, I read this book and it just like opened my eyes to how food and diet can actually affect long-term health and not just your immediate body composition or your, how you look or how toned you are. Like, I hate that word, but um, <laughs> it can actually like affect like long-term health and your longevity and all these different things. And I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe I hadn't learned this before. I was taking a nutrition course. I, I just had never made the connection. Like what I eat today could influence whether I get breast cancer in the future. So it was just kind of downhill from there. I just started reading all I could about nutrition, um, plant-based diets. I found nutritionfacts.org. I swear I've seen every video on that website. Um, <laughs> I started volunteering for them as well, actually. An incredible organization. I love the work he's doing. And I know he's been a guest on your show as well, Dr. Gregor. But yeah, um, he, yeah and Colin Campbell, yeah. RT Colin Campbell has too. So I'll make sure I link oh, to the book, yeah. the book in those um, interviews. But yeah, keep going. Like this is, I love this because th that was the year that I changed my diet too. And oh, I no came, way. <laughs> yeah, and I, I came to it through Forks Over Knives, but it was really similar. Like, oh, I can, I actually have some control or some type of decision that I can make that can impact whether I get, you know, high blood pressure or can, you know, reduce the incidences of me getting cancer. Like a lot of people still don't connect those two things. And people look at health as like, well, if I'm skinny, I'm healthy. And if I'm overweight, then I'm not healthy. But it's not as simple as that. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think like, I think we all knew that, oh, don't drink soda every day and try not to eat like French fries, shoot the salad once in a while. But I just hadn't realized how much power was actually behind those choices. And I think even like, as you say, even today, it's downplayed a lot in the power that we have. Again, coming back to what we can control, diet is something we can control and we can control some of these outcomes later on in our lives. And to me, that was very empowering. And I was, I think I came across the book right at the right time. I was really getting into clean eating and really starting to recognize the role of nutrition. But yeah, I just hadn't made the connection with the long-term health side of it. So how did you actually make the change? Because a lot of people will say, yeah, I agree with all those things, but I actually don't know how to make those changes or I can't stick to the changes. For me, I think because I was going plant-based for the health reasons initially, I did not feel the need to do it overnight. Whereas I feel if someone goes vegan for the animals or the environment, they want to make these choices right away. I Now looking back, I was like, why wasn't I vegan like years before for the animals? But um, that's in hindsight. So at the time it was vegan for health for sure. So it was just, it was a gradual transition for me. I just really started gravitating towards more of these like whole plant foods that uh, Dr. Gregor's videos and the China study were telling me were good for me. And I slowly started phasing out some of the the animal products. And it was at one point where I realized I hadn't had meat for like over a month. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just keep this going. And I never went back. I never had meat again. The last food I gave up was Greek yogurt. And uh, yeah, I, I still... I still miss Greek yogurt a little bit. I don't think there's a plant-based alternative that's exactly like that anymore, but I honestly, I miss, I miss nothing from my previous diet and it's been, yeah, over eight years and I'm predominantly whole food plant-based now. And it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. I think a lot of times the idea of the thing, like the idea of Greek yogurt probably still sounds really good. Or like for me, like the idea of actually having mozzarella pizza you know, cheese on a pizza sounds really good, but if you taste it, it probably would just taste horrible. Like even like the smell of it really bothers me, even though the idea of it still sounds really good. I, I think that yeah. food addiction <laughs> runs really, really, really deep. Like even if it smells bad, it can still be like, oh, I remember how good that was. Yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, for me, like nothing about dairy is appealing anymore. So when I say I miss Greek yogurt, you're right. It's more, more the texture of it, the creaminess of it. And I guess what I used to like I loved muesli and my Greek yogurt, but there's no part of dairy that is appealing whatsoever. Like once I feel you learn what truly is in dairy, what you're consuming, what went into creating this product, like there's no part of you that wants to put that back in your body, especially if you're an athlete and especially if you value like food as fuel and like um, you really are what you eat. There's no way you put that back in your body. <laughs> what changes did you notice in your body after you changed your diet? I noticed Okay, I have to be completely honest. Like, I honestly didn't notice a ton um, because I was eating so healthy, like already. I had already cut out so much. So it's hard for me to be like, oh, this was the plant based diet versus this was just me cutting out all the junk food. But what I can say is that I've been vegan throughout my entire fight career. And I swear I recover faster than everyone else. Like I can do a hard training session one day and come back into the gym and hit the pads just as hard the next day. And I find my cardio, my conditioning is, it's incredible. Like every, my coach, my teammates, they say that I can go for days. Actually, my fight nickname is the pit bull because I don't step backward in the ring. Like I only push forward. So I honestly attribute that to my plant-based diet, just the ability to like keep going and just that quick recovery. And I'm very rarely sore. So I can't compare directly before because I never had a fight when I wasn't vegan, but from everything that I know about nutrition and diet, I know that it's helped me in my fight career for sure. And do you focus on protein? Cause I know like people, especially people who are in the gym a lot, they are more focused on, I need to consume X grams of protein. I'm not, I did track it for a while just to kind of make sure, like kind of see out of curiosity as I'm pretty sure a lot of people do. But one of the things that I really like, I'd like to point out is that I remember asking the protein question. <laughs> like, I just think we all remember, have. Like, it's yeah, really, yeah. I, I remember asking like, oh, but where am I going to get my protein? And so that's why, like, I never laugh when people ask me that because it's, it's a very valid question. And my answer to that is usually the emphasis should be on getting enough calories, not on getting enough protein. If you eat a wide variety of plant foods throughout the day, your protein requirements are pretty much going to take care of themselves. And I know for me, 
like the American College of Sports Medicine, they recommend like 1.2 to 2.0 grams per kilogram per body weight for athletes. And I think a recent paper even says 1.6 is probably the upper limit. But either way, like as an athlete, we do need a little bit more protein than the sedentary population. But the fact that we need more calories as well, like we're just eating more food, we're going to get more protein in. So for me, it's pretty easy to hit 1.2, 1.3 grams a day, just eating whole plant foods. Like my breakfast alone has about 20 grams protein. Like I add beans to my salad. I love like baked tofu. Like I soy milk is great. Eight grams per cup. Like when you start adding up the numbers, it's pretty easy to hit. And I'll admit like there's certain situations, um, like if I'm cutting weight or something like that, you do need more protein, um, just to help spare like the muscle catabolism and all that. But even it's so easy to just add like one protein shake or something like that. Like omnivores add protein shakes. Why can't we? So if you're really concerned about hitting those numbers, I think adding like a vegan protein powder can help reassure and make sure you hit them. But honestly, I never really concern myself with it. Yeah. And I, I can't remember if I read this or I heard this and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we can even absorb like a crazy amount of protein in one sitting. Like, isn't it around 30 grams? You can up to around 30 grams. You can absorb from one meal. Like if you're eating 50 grams in a meal, you're not absorbing all of that. Yeah. That's what I've heard too. It's like 30 grams kind of our limit. So. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, so people worried about protein just, yeah. And as an athlete, like you get to, like, you get to eat lots of calories. Like a lot of times we, especially, you know, if you're trying to cut weight, and I want to hear about how you, more about that in a minute, cyclists are often very concerned about their strength to weight ratio. So you're always worried about like, I got to maintain this weight or I got to lose weight, but eating plant-based is a much healthier way to either maintain or lose weight. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like I never have a problem maintaining like a weight outside of my fights. Like when I'm not cutting, like it's easy. Like I just eat what I want to eat. I eat a lot of sweet potato, a lot of oatmeal, berries, fruits, and you just naturally, I think it really kind of resets like your hunger, like thermostat to say, like you just, you know how much you need to eat. Your body's just able to keep yourself in that healthy weight range, like where it wants to be. That's my experience anyway. Yeah. And this is a total side note. I, I've just been thinking about a lot lately, but, um, yeah. you know, with pregnancy and like losing weight after pregnancy, people are like, Oh, how did you quote, you know, get your body back? Or how did you lose weight? It's like, I didn't, I didn't try to lose weight. I just ate healthy. I just ate like a whole foods plant-based diet. And it was something I was worried about while I was pregnant. And it just wasn't something I had to focus on. So, and I mean, maybe other people have done that and, and struggled, but my personal experience was that if you're putting good stuff in, then your body's going to get back to where it needs to get back to. It might not be exactly what it looked like before, but it's going to get to where it needs to be. Yeah, no, I can completely agree with that. So how do you cut weight for a fight? Like, how, And how much weight do you have to lose? Like, How does all of that work? Yeah. So again, my experience is a little bit different. As I was going through my fighting career, I had a little, like, we don't have to get too much into it, but a little bit of a disordered eating problem. And I was a little obsessed with healthy eating and, and all that. So for me personally, I knew it wasn't unhealthy for me to do a large weight cut. And my coach was completely on board with this as well. So I actually tended to fight around my, like at the weight I walked around at, which for anyone listening that knows anything about fighting out there, that's generally not <laughs> good because your opponent is going to cut down. So my opponent was sometimes fighting, like walking around like 10 pounds, 15 pounds heavier than I was because I just wasn't cutting weight for a fight. So I would fight at like 120. I fought at 125 one time. And I remember I ate a giant breakfast the day before and, <laughs> or a giant breakfast the morning of, I weighed in with all my clothes and I like barely hit the weight. Anyway, that wasn't, I did not win that fight and <laughs> it was a lesson learned, but, um, my most recent fight, the one, the WKA North American title fight, I did cut some weight for that. Not as much as I probably could have in hindsight, but I did cut some. And I really, I swear like the whole food plant-based diet, it, it helps with it because I did not restrict carbs. Like I know some fighters, like they'll, they'll cut all carbs from their diet. And some of these weight cutting diets are so restrictive. And I just like, man, you need carbs to train. Like that's your energy. Like, I don't know how you're doing your sprints and your training if you're cutting your carbs. But um, for me, what I found is I just like, I would just modify my diet. Like it was so easy to just cut my portion sizes down a little bit and increase some of my protein, add a shake or something like that. And honestly, like just cut my calories down a little bit to where I needed to be. And a fight camp is usually for me, I like about six to eight weeks or something like that. So it's like, it, it's gradual. Like if you're, if you're diligent with your diet and your training, like you can drop like one to two pounds a week or something like that. And then the week before is generally 
where you cut water weight. So what a lot of fighters like to do is like, they'll actually water load like five days out, six days out, something like that. So like you're drinking so much water and then halfway through the week, you start to cut back on the water. But what happens is your body is so used to like having all this water on you, you tend to excrete more than you're actually taking in. So you almost kind of trick your body in a way. So all of a sudden you're peeing out tons of water, but like you're actually not taking any more in. And then you'll, and you're also restricting sodium at this point. Um, so you're not retaining any extra water. And then the final bit is usually like a weight cut in the sauna, which is not fun. <laughs> it's like, I felt like I was dying, but I ended up dropping the last three, four pounds, um, three pounds, I think in water weight. And then you weigh in the night before. And then right after the weigh-in is like the best time ever. Like you can just rehydrate. You're drinking your electrolytes back. You're eating my pre-fight meals, usually like sweet potato with some like some salt for the electrolytes and avocado and, and all the fruit and things like that. And then you fight the next day. So there is some time to replenish in between, but it's definitely a bit of an ordeal and it's, it's not a fun time. Yeah. Especially like I have a, a past of disordered eating and eating a plant-based diet, like really, really helped that a lot. But that must be really hard to have that kind of in the back in, in your past, or maybe it, it isn't always in the past and having to be really focused on weight and the number on the scale and trying to like drop weight. So how do you, how do you manage that part? Yeah, it was, it's something I've thought a lot about. And at one point I didn't like, I didn't fight for like extended period just because I was like, it does trigger that side of your brain to like all of a sudden I know it's better for me not to be focused on the calories and not to be focusing on the scale and getting myself back to a healthy spot and a healthy relationship. But when you have to think about the scale, when you're fighting at a certain weight, it can be dangerous. And it was a fine line. I walked for a while, I think. And I definitely, I'll admit that I think maybe fighting exacerbated it in some points, but um, I really did try and focus on like, I need to be strong, like strength over being skinny, that sort of thing. And, and um, realizing like shifting my mindset to like food really is fuel. And um, it, like say, it was a definitely a long journey, but um, tough at times for sure. <laughs> and can you talk more about like, so you mentioned right before, like you're trying to cut water weight, but you mm -hmm. said that it's a six to eight week period at a fight camp where you're actually trying to get your body weight slowly to come down. So are you trying to lose as much fat as possible safely before you start cutting water? Yes. Yeah, that's the idea. So for me, like the water weight cut at the end, that that part sucks. Like the one time I had to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so my whole plan throughout the fight camp was to like, okay, let's lose as much naturally as I can without killing myself, obviously, so that I really don't need to cut much water weight at the end because an extreme water weight cut will affect your fighting performance. Like 24 hours in between, if you've severely dehydrated yourself, that's not much recovery time. And a lot of fighters definitely feel it in the ring. So for me, it's about trying to be disciplined with my training and to cut my calories accordingly so that I'm dropping weight as I need to, so that I don't have to do a giant cut at the end. But again, it's like this fine line of balance because like you're, you're, these are six to eight weeks where you're training insane. Like you're increasing your training like you weren't before. And now all of a sudden you're eating less. So it's a very fine line between overtraining and overexerting yourself and not refueling and uh, cutting the weight that you need. So it's definitely, it's a tough balance to find. And um, I think a lot of fighters struggle with it. And I'll be the first to admit that I haven't found that perfect balance yet. Yeah, that seems like it'd be really hard because I know like when I'm training a lot, I eat so much more and I'm not trying to lose weight doing it, knowing that there's a way in coming. So yeah, the stress of that would be for me would be really hard. And I'm sure that like for a lot of fighters, it could be tough. Yeah, it's just like one more thing that you have to worry about. And again, I think that's one of the things that one of the other reasons where I like to fight at my walk around weight was because I was I had so much fight anxiety as it is. So that was one less thing I had to be anxious about. And there's something to be just like, to be able to eat, like when you're hungry, <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. it, there's a lot, it does for you mentally. So. So you're like, what you do is you eat when you're hungry during this training, increased training, but you just try and change a little bit. You try and eat a little bit more protein and you, you said you're still eating carbohydrates. Yeah. So I like, I eat tons of fruit, tons of bananas. I just really, for me, I drop my portion sizes. So let's mm -hmm. say, um, like I'm a huge oatmeal fan. So let's say I was eating, like, I don't remember what I was eating at the time, but certain serving of oatmeal, I would just like cut that down. Um, maybe mm -hmm. I would skip the walnuts I would add. So mm -hmm. just 
cutting out these little foods, you can actually like cut quite a few, like hundred calories off your daily caloric count just by like cutting out some of these snacks that you don't really think about. So yeah, that was big for me. So just like portion sizes. So instead of like a cup and a half of beans, I drop it down to like a cup of beans, things like that. Yeah. For me, reducing anything that has added fat and oil mm-hmm. has been really helpful if I'm trying to lose weight and you do need a certain amount of fat in your diet to absorb fiber and things like that. But like you said, a lot of us will put too many walnuts or put too many, and these are, these are healthy things, but mm-hmm. if you're trying to lose weight, eating too much of them can, can cause a problem <laughs> and the, the calories add up really fast. Even, even just like not using salad dressing, that could be a really easy way to, to lose weight. Yeah, exactly. And it's like coming up with these little like tricks to like keep yourself full and satisfied, but your overall calories are a little bit lower. So yeah oil-free dressings and things like that are great. Like I make a lot of my own salad dressings, but um, some of them use like tahini as a base or things like that. Um, Whereas I could easily just switch to one that was just like lemon juice, Dijon mustard and vinegar or something like that. So Mm -hmm. these little things. What other tips do you have? Because people listening are probably like, I want to lose some weight. Okay. So I cut back a little bit on my nuts. Um, I reduce my portion sizes by a little bit. I use an oil-free dressing. And these, these are all like, this isn't saying don't eat. This is saying just change a little bit of the mm-hmm. higher dense caloric density foods. Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite things is like if you're doing like some sort of bowl or a stir fry for dinner or something like that, um, you usually have a certain amount of beans or your rice or whole grain or something like that. Well, just cutting, like reducing that and really filling, adding in the vegetables, like you can really like fill up there. They are so much fiber in them. There's water. They really fill you up and they can take up a lot of volume without adding a lot of calories. So one of my favorite ones to add is like purple cabbage. Like I adore purple cabbage. You can just throw it in and it's, it's quite filling and um, it goes in a lot of different meals. So just, just things like that, almost substituting like these calorically dense foods for ones that are less calorically dense, but it'll fill you up. My favorite when it's in season is watermelon as well. Like a giant bowl of watermelon can actually be quite filling. But when you actually think about it, there's like 30 calories per cup. And, and it's there's so many like micronutrients, like um, beneficial antioxidants in it as well. So yeah, just focusing on these things where you can, I find very helpful. So let's talk about medical school. Why did you mm-hmm. decide to go to medical school? Because that's a pretty big undertaking. And especially when your your fighting career was starting to really take off. Yeah, medical school was... It wasn't something I had planned out. I had been working as a personal trainer for several years after finishing my undergraduate degree in uh, kinesiology. And um, I just, I loved working with people. I loved really trying to share my love of physical um, exercise and movement with these people and helping them improve their health. And there's an aspect of nutrition in it as well. Like I was, at this time I was plant-based and I was trying to convert them all. <laughs> but um, I realized that there's there's a lot more to health than just exercise and nutrition as much as we sometimes like to just be like, oh, just do this and you'll be healthy. Some of these people had other health conditions going on. They had other stressors in their life. And I realized that there was only so much I could do to help them as a personal trainer um, when I'm only seeing them a couple of times a week, prescribing a workout or something like that. And I just honestly thought that medicine would be a good path for me so that I really could influence some of these other areas of their life, as well as the exercise and nutrition. And um, medicine is one of those fields where it's like, again, you're constantly learning. There's always something you can progress in or improve at. And really, once you're a physician, there's so many ways you can tailor your practice to how you want it to be. So all these things really just felt like it was a good fit for me. And I applied and um, I was lucky enough to be accepted. And what's it been like as somebody who eats plant-based? Because there's some really great movements happening. There's like the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. There's the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And I'm sure there's tons of other things that I don't even know about. How is it going through medical school with this lens of, yeah, like we don't have to prescribe drugs or cut people to make them healthier? Mm-hmm. For me, like say I applied to medical school wanting to be a plant-based physician. So I came into it with like I kind of expected like there wouldn't be much nutrition because like we all hear, oh, doctors aren't taught nutrition, that sort of thing. So I was expecting it, but it's it's true. There's not much nutrition at all. And um, for me, that's hard because I'll be like sitting and listening to a lecture and, and there's maybe one slide and just some vague dietary suggestions. And then the rest is just mm-hmm. talking about the drugs and the medications. And it's frustrating because it's like, if you're not treating, if you're not getting at the nutrition, if you're not getting at some of these other lifestyle causes, you're really not treating the root cause of the disease. And 
I've been working to increase awareness about that a little bit. Another medical student, um, he's a year ahead of me. He actually had started um, before I even got into medical school. He started a plant-based nutrition club at my school. And so I kind of teamed up with him and I actually took the club over in my second year. And we've been working to like increase awareness about the importance of nutrition. And I was actually able to bring in uh, Brendan Davis, the registered oh, cool. dietitian and Dr. Michael Clapper to do some like virtual presentations. So I think that's helped and I'm hoping it's planted a little bit of a seed with uh, some of my classmates, but I know there's definitely more work to be done. You had mentioned the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and I'm actually excited to announce there's actually a Canadian Lifestyle Medicine Advocacy Group now, mm. which is through ACLM, which you're probably aware of, but it's um, a group of, it's basically a way that we can collaborate together. I think there's like 80 some members throughout Canada. And so I'm really hoping that by actually being able to work together across Canada, we can influence more change and maybe get some actual like curriculum changes into some of the medical student and residency programs. Yeah, I know that that's something that's an initiative also of the PCRM. They're mm-hmm. trying to to change that. But yeah, that's a hard change to, to make. I mean, that's a big ask, but it's great that there's so many passionate people behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there's so many incredible people that are doing great things. And I'm happy and excited to be a part of um, the movement as uh, I honestly think like plant-based is the future. And the more physicians and medical students are aware of the power of this, the better off we're all, we're all going to be. Yeah. It's interesting just from a political standpoint, if somebody has a condition, because there's like the pharmaceutical companies want you to be prescribing drugs. And I don't know, you know, all the details behind this, but Like, what do you think that future looks like? Because there's a lot of money in pharmaceuticals and there's a lot of influence in pharmaceuticals and telling somebody like, as Dr. Gerger would say, like big broccoli doesn't have funding and, you know, all this. So what do you think that's going to look like in the future? It's hard to say. I don't think there's ever going to be like, it's, it's tough. There's so much money tied up in it for sure. And I actually think that to see some of these big changes on like healthcare level, we almost need to be restructuring how we pay our healthcare professionals. And we have to be like almost rewarding physicians for keeping their patients healthy rather than for prescribing medications. And I just want to point out that no doctor goes into medical school, just, well, I can't speak for them all, but most doctors want to help people. Most medical students want to help people. And we don't just want to prescribe medication, but at the same time, the way the system is set up, like you go in to see your family doctor, they're only scheduled to see you for 15 minutes. Like that's, it's hard for them to talk about all these different aspects of lifestyle medicine when they only have 15 minutes and you came in to get your prescription refilled. And it's, it's hard on physicians. And I think a lot of them do what they can, but it's, it's hard when the system is not set up properly. So if we can somehow get to a point where we have longer appointments or where dietitian consultations are actually covered by healthcare, or we have more networks that are working together. And, and there's some great organizations in Canada and the United States that are starting to do this, but I'm just hoping that soon it's going to be at a larger scale where it's more accessible to everyone out there. Yeah, that's why I'm excited about health coaching. Like there's an actual board certification that you can get that I'm working towards. And it addresses this exact problem of a lot of times people go to the doctor, the doctor says you need to make these lifestyle changes, but then they don't have time to actually work with the patient on how to actually change your behavior. So underneath the medical system with this certification, you can actually work with doctors and, you know, PAs and nurse practitioners to help these patients on a weekly basis, like execute these changes. And the American College of Lifestyle Medicine also has an advanced certification um, for health coaches. So I'm excited to work towards that as well. So that's actually, that's so awesome. Like we need more people like that. And like, because yeah, like people like you, that's so integral. Like we need people actually, like it's one thing to be told like, oh, you need to make these changes by your doctor, but it's so hard to actually make these changes and to actually facilitate some of these behavior changes. So yeah, people, people don't know how, and I'm so glad that there'll be professionals like you working alongside um, some of these other professionals. And that's what we need. Yeah. Like like you said, um, with your fighting, like it takes a team. It's not just like what, Mm. like if it was just your coach or just you, like it would be really hard to do that. And when it comes to making big lifestyle changes, sometimes it does take a team to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think none of us are alone and we have to remember that sometimes and it's okay to lean on other people and it's okay to ask for help. And and that's that's part of it. And that's what makes us human, I think. Well, thank you so much. I think we covered a lot of really interesting topics for people with some great key takeaways on you know, focus and 
confidence and changing your diet and how to lose weight if you're trying to lose weight and just so many interesting topics. So thanks so much for taking the time. And what's the name of your podcast again, if people want to check that out? Yeah, of course. Thank you for mentioning it. It's called the Plant Fueled Podcast. And um, I would love if uh, everyone would check it out. Like say I interviewed you for it and um, it was an honor to have you on. So (laughs) yeah, I'm just, (laughs) I'm focusing on lifestyle medicine with a touch of sport performance as well. That's awesome. I know that a lot of the listeners will be excited to check that out. And where else can people find you? I'm not on the internet too much, but you can, um, if you want to connect out, I'm on Instagram at plant underscore fueled. And I'd love to hear from you. And um, yeah, if you have any questions or want to get started in uh, Muay Thai or kickboxing, I'm happy to give some advice. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Sonia. I hope you got some great insight from that episode with Cass. I think it's so important to hear the plant-based message from so many different types of people because a lot of times we need to see ourselves in somebody else's story before we're willing to make a change. And I learned a lot from Cass and was really excited to hear all about how she approaches training and how and why she changed her diet. It's always motivating, even if you're already eating plant-based, to hear from other plant-based eaters as well. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Thank you so, so much for being a part of my community. I couldn't do this without you. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.